Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I am now hosting Corwin Heller after being alerted unannounced <laughs> that we were starting. Just going deep into it. Uh, yeah, buddy. Uh, welcome to the Monday edition of the show. We're doing this. Last episode, we recorded a day late because of uh, an event we had anticipated taking part in. And today... Bitch, you put that in the chat. I already had that in the chat. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as Corwin's presenting topics, I have already written down. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, today we're recording a day earlier than we usually do because uh, this episode will release on July 5th. The day before July 5th is July 4th. Corwin and I will both be busy spending even more quality time together as the pandemic winds down and we get to express ourselves as true friends. The power of friendship. Um, <laughs> feels like um, like Captain Planet kind of thing is what I was going for with that. I thought like, He-Man for some reason. No, I was thinking very much so. I, I know Captain Planet wasn't like the power of friendship, but it feels like a lot of like that like 90s superhero cartoon kind of thing. Yeah. Four non-blondes. What's going on? And he prays. Uh, And I pray. Let's let's, let's move on. I fucking, like, unironically loved listening to that song. Like, I just have it on my phone to listen to. The 10-hour version? No. No, no, no. Where never, the fun never stops. Oh, yeah. Gotta love it. All right. So then, uh, anyway, let's get into into today's biz. Uh, we'll start with the thing that we did not have time for at the end of the last episode, which was the name, image, and likeness stuff, um, and also an update or discussion resurfacing about Reggie Bush and the status of his uh, Heisman Trophy. Uh, I guess let's start with the Reggie Bush thing. Uh, Corwin Heller. Were you actively following college football? I'd imagine you were actively following college football at the time of Reggie Bush. No, that was before my time. Was it? That was like 2001, 2003, that era. I imagined you out of the womb with an understanding of where people went to college. No, my dad used to give me a lot of shit because he'd take me to Penn State games at Beaver Stadium. And I would, instead of wanting to watch football, I would sit under the bleachers uh, and play with rocks. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I've gotten a lot of complaints over the years about that bullshit. His, his quotes, that bullshit. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's funny as shit. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, are you informed about the Reggie Bush situation? Yes. Give us a rundown. Uh, basically, uh, Reggie Bush as an amateur college athlete, um, received several hundred thousand dollars worth of impermissible benefits by selling uh, merchandise, autographs, things like that, receiving um, compensation in return for those kind of things. Just, uh, you know, it wasn't anything outrageous. It's not like he was fixing games, wasn't, you know, um, betting on anything. Like he was just, hey, his signature, his likeness, things like that, like the basics, which are allowed now. Um, he was getting compensated for that, um, and it just happened to be a significant amount of money. So this came out after he had won the Heisman Trophy, and I believe it was in 2003, um, possibly 2002. I don't know. Matt Leinart might have been 2003. They were back-to-back years. Um, but regardless, 
Um, they took away the Heisman Trophy. Uh, they vacated all of his stats, all of his records from the NCAA record books. Um, and now he's coming out and saying, hey, now that all this stuff is kosher and totally allowed, you want to you wanna give me this, this stuff back and give me back my records, give me back my trophy, uh, things like that. The Heisman Trust even came out this week and said, hey, if uh, NCAA um, wants to do that, we are fully supporting and would welcome him back with open arms. Yeah, and as of, I guess the most recent update was a few days ago. It's it's still a no-go, which means so little for the NCAA. You know, like it really, like if, if they, you know, putting air quotes here, like flip-flopped on their stance and on Reggie Bush, um, who gives a fuck? It was almost 20 years ago. And no one cares, especially no one really cared. I would venture to say, oh, the majority of people, I would imagine, didn't really care pre Supreme Court ruling. I would imagine even fewer people would care now if they were to make that change um, in terms of reflecting some poor stance towards the NCAA. But, you know, who would care a whole bunch? is Reggie Bush and like he's alive to experience the joy of being a former Heisman winner. And as Corin and I have talked about many times about people receiving accolades that they likely should have received earlier in their lives, um, but only receiving them after their death when they, it's nice that you recognize them, but they now are not here to revel in that. Uh, Hey, I know, I know Reggie Bush isn't exactly like on the way out or anything, but uh, why don't you let him enjoy the next 40 to 60 years of his life uh, as a Heisman winner when it costs you literally nothing to do so other than uh, re-putting back in stats into like a spreadsheet or some shit? Uh, mm-hmm. Fucking, I can't imagine it's much more work than that. So really? NCAA, and it, it's also easy, good press. NCAA never gets good press. It is such easy, fluff, good story, you know, feel good, like, page two story that they could get for themselves and instead they're like nah we want to beat the bad guys and it's like do you have to um i fully would think that they in their mind think they have to be the bad guys they want to be the bad guys they want to be the tough guys that you know force this upon stuff and and all that jazz that would come with it you know, wherever there are arbitrary rules to be lorded uh, about, there are people who are hands up to do the lording, um, which is like the first three stories we have to talk about. So while we see if anything changes with the Reggie Bush situation, additionally, there's you know some of the fallout from the name, image, and likeness ruling has been some, uh, shall we say, conservative uh, parties mm-hmm. who very much so didn't want this to happen because they think it is unfair. Again, big old air quotes. And there's been a number of reactions uh, from people tangential to college football or the NCAA or politics Mm -hmm. who have said that this could lead kids from going away from smaller schools from a regional presence sense and going towards larger schools where they could theoretically get a 
larger sponsorship deal because that school would have a larger appeal. Like Rutgers football program ain't really shit. It's not that it's like bottom of the barrel. They're still in the big 10, but it's Rutgers. Like your school's not very good, but they're not respected. They're not respected, but they are in a very large media market. They are. So, which is why they were accepted into the big 10 and not at all something that I hold against them before taking the spot of a real team. Right. Um, and uh, let, 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 let me tell you, folks, <laughs> if you are a uh, if you are afraid of, of theoretically employees getting paid a market rate, <laughs> I don't know how you can say you're in favor of capitalism. <laughs> and it seems to be a lot of those people who would, I think, in other circumstances, largely defend the free enterprise capitalism, arguing against. What? arguing against a free market for labor. It, 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 it's, it's not the free market for uh, signing big-ass television deals, and it, it's not the uh, free market to go and acquire high school talent uh, at, for, for no compensation whatsoever outside of room and board, which I think we've had that conversation several times. That's not real compensation. Uh, not, not in a I-need-to-pay-my-bills way. And... Um, Yet they are fervently against the idea that there are uh, wantable attributes to being regionally elsewhere and that you might have to give more shit in order to get players to go there, Mm. um, to go to places that do not have those things, I should say. So um, while guys like Tommy Tuberville uh, got paid to not... Yeah, right. Got paid to not coach a, a college football team is um, is in the South. My God, um, might be wondering what will happen to his precious, precious Alabama. I want to say um, uh, Tommy Tuberville. I want to say he's Auburn, but he's definitely in Alabama. I believe. Yeah, some something like that shit. He can go fuck himself. It doesn't really matter. Um, he might just have to accept the fact that, well, guess what? Alabama is ass for the vast majority of it outside of a couple certain areas. And people might want to rather live in East Brunswick. He was the head coach of Auburn from 1999 to 2008. And he can go fuck himself. He can. Yeah. Right oh, I mean, obviously this is good for the players, but to see to see people shill out for businesses, which obviously is always going to happen because some people just suck and they are dumb and they don't get why that's a stupid thing to do. Uh, But to see people still do it under the guise of, oh, please don't leave our itty bitty school in the middle of ass backwards, Kentucky, where there's nothing else to do. Um, it, It, it's like, well, if you, if you, if you caved on paying athletes from the college's funds, maybe even that would change. Who knows? Mm. You can't just exploit labor, especially from like literal, actual 18 to 21 year olds. And I uh, think you can just own them and make their lives hard without any real compensation. Uh, Cause uh, guess what? Eating for free at the cafeteria on campus isn't exactly compensation, but no, but hey, they they try their fucking best to make it that way. We had no talked. Comment. Yeah, we had talked um, 
a while ago, it was not recent, about if a ruling like this would lead to a more quick deterioration of a lot of the other rules of the NCAA, like being able to pay athletes directly from um, the the college coffers. Because theoretically, I I guess, you know, it, let's say uh, let's say University of Kentucky. Uh, that's a big school, right? Yeah. Uh, let's let's say that they rake in a ton of cash from their TV deals, which I'm assuming that they do. Mm-hmm. And let's say that they rake in even more than than uh, uh, Rutgers because they have a, a larger um, geographic appeal. I'm not I don't actually know, but let's just say that they do. Through athletics. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I also wouldn't be surprised. Um, so for argument's sake, let's say they do. But like I said previously, there's a good chance that in terms of sponsorships, Rutgers would have an advantage because there's there's more businesses, there's more people in that area, there's more eyeballs that are going to get on it within a, an immediate geographic sense. And Kentucky might be at a disadvantage because they don't have that. But, but if you started paying athletes, Kentucky could probably make up some of that difference by actually forking over dollars from revenue achieved from their like TV deals and whatnot to try to offset some of the money that athletes may or may not be getting in sponsorships because of the regional effect. So do you think that this could potentially lead to a situation where the NCAA acts in their own best interest or the best interest of some of the schools within uh, their organization by reducing some of those other restrictions or no? Possibly, but I really don't think funding directly through the school is something that's going to make as big of a difference as you would expect mostly because most college football programs and athletic departments don't operate on much of a profit their margins are genuinely pretty small if you're not you know a major major program Um, and a lot of schools operate at a loss uh, funding their athletic departments because you know, unless you are an SEC, unless you are a Big Ten, you know, Pac-12 top tier, excuse me, uh, top tier athletic conference type school, you're not getting the kind of TV deals, the revenue deals, the revenue streams to kind of fund these programs. And you have to do that already through, you know, the school's coffers and private boosters, things like that. And once you start adding, you know, quote unquote, labor costs to that for athletes, I think a lot of these schools aren't going to have the money to make that really worth their while where private corporations with sponsorships, with endorsements, things like that can pick and choose and, and, you know, offer it a little more freely. There's more options for athletes to go more, you know, God damn, I am sorry. Ugh. More revenue streams for them to kind of work through and, and um, options available to them. Um I'm not sure I buy it though, for the same reason it's like Amazon doesn't pay taxes because they technically don't turn a profit. Right. You know so I mean? like Penn State is always updating buildings, always updating you know facilities. They're doing massive renovations, you know things like that to keep their quote unquote profit down. Um, but at the same time, they're making these renovations and making these investments in turn to bring in better student athletes and and draw in more revenue, things like that. So yes, Penn State of all schools will have the funds to pay its athletes if, if it so chooses. 
but most schools don't operate the way Penn State does and doesn't have that kind of income, doesn't have that kind of reliable cash flow to do so. You know, like a Moravian college or a DeSales University, you know, in Bethlehem, they're not going to have the kind of money to to fund their athletes, to to sponsor their athletes, to pay their athletes the way Penn State University does. So at the same time, a lot of schools could stop paying their coaches north of a million dollars a year. Um, we came here for solutions and not pipe dreams. Oh, I mean, I mean uh, in a real way, I do wonder if they if there would be that consideration to shift some of the funds because you know, mm-hmm. all right, how? So I have a ranking here of the yeah. highest paid college football coaches. Mm-hmm. How far down the list? do you think I have to go to get below a million dollars a year? A million dollars a year? Yeah. In I believe the, this is yearly, by the way. I, I could be wrong, but it seems as though this is, um, it seems as though this is yearly. 55. Oh, my sweet summer child. 83. Yeah. It, it's really. Middle Tennessee's no Rick Stockstill gets paid $901,000 a year with a $5.8 million buyout. Um, he is 83rd. Just above him at exactly $1 million is San Diego State's Brady Hoke. Brady Hoke? Really? Yeah. Well, look up his contract at Michigan. Brady he's Hoke. Not worried about, uh, yeah, he's not worried about making uh, too much money nowadays. He's got it in the bag. I'm not even going to look. Him, and, him yeah. and Charlie Weiss, Michigan paid them both a lot of money to not, not coach for their school anymore. Yeah. Um... Yeah, if anyone wondering, uh, Corin Wild guess at who's first on this list for pay? Um, Dabo Sweeney. Uh, no, I don't see Dabo Sweeney is number three. Um, Jim Harbaugh signed an extension, I think, like a year or two ago. He might He's be number fourth. one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Nick Saban too. Nick Saban's number one. Now he is nine point one million dollars. And you know what? That's a fucking bargain. Thirty six point eight million dollar buyout. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, people will scoff at that number. He is underpaid. But, but that, he's but under, he's underpaid of- in the same way that Mike Trout and, you know, Pat Mahomes are underpaid, where they have the biggest just uh, albatross of a contract in their sports but they are so good and bring in so much value to those franchises, to those teams that they're still considered underpaid. Like I'll, Alabama is not Alabama without Nick Saban. I, I, I understand. I, but I wonder how the market would shift and look if a team or if a, a college program looked at now having to pay players and go, well, can we afford a $10 million a year coach? Not that they've necessarily let him walk, but maybe the average salary of the people 50th and lower in the placements would drop an appreciable amount. And all of a sudden that $9 million per season goes from being, I don't know, uh, 50% higher than your average college coach to being 75% higher than the average college coach. And it's like, well, it was a fair contract before, but market adjustments have made this look significantly worse in the past few seasons. So it'll be interesting to see. See, it's well, tough no, to well, kind of have that comparison. Happen. It's so no, hypothetical it at this point. Yeah. yeah, it never would happen. But like, you can't make that argument with Nick Saban. You could do that with, you know, 
Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, absolutely. Yeah. You could do that with James Franklin, absolutely. But, you know, the Dabo Sweeney's, the, you know, um, Urban Myers, the Nick Sabins, the guys who are, hey, we're pretty much going to coach at your university and guarantee you a spot in the conference championship game and like a 90% chance to make the playoff. That is 100% worth that investment. Uh, for anyone who was wondering, number two on this list, because we got uh, three and four already, uh, number two was Ed Orgeron, from Louisiana, Orgeron from Louisiana Orgeron. State at uh, 8.6. Another thing that's interesting about the spreadsheet that I'm looking Roll at tide. here. What? Fuck you. Is apparently a decent number of the coaches, especially in the top of this list, did not have a pandemic uh, related reduction in their pay which was a hotly debated thing in the world of um non-college athletics but uh, i guess a lot of coaches didn't have to face that themselves which is again just interesting to note um yeah we'll leave that there i guess uh all right corner anything about the uh the college side of things before we uh change sports leagues and and everything else this is the first I've heard you speak in like 35 seconds. So I have no idea what you just asked me. Oh, then we're moving on. We're not even going to worry about it. Uh, So in addition to uh, the NCAA being a dick about uh, honoring Reggie Bush's legacy because of arbitrary ass reasons and rules, uh, the Olympics have well not the olympics but uh, one of the governing bodies that allows or determines the eligibility of uh, american athletes to their olympic teams has barred shikari richardson who uh, became a internet darling a few weeks ago when she had won the uh, i think 100 meter uh, qualifier uh, very large personality fire red hair um big long nails. I knew immediately she was from Texas. Um, you got a strong Texas vibe, um, from Shakari Richardson, um, you know, emanating a very, uh, like young black personality, which is really nice to see. You like to see your athletes have personality, especially when it strongly represents where they come from, because that's part of the fun of cheering for anybody. Uh, and she apparently after that race had tested positive for marijuana usage, and therefore, the uh, I'll find the uh, actual name of this governing body instead of making it seem so. Uh, well, it is rather in the shadows, but still, um, they said that she is ineligible to take place in the hundred meter in um, the Tokyo Olympics because of this, because they they are counting it as a performance enhancing drug, which uh, the U.S. Anti Doping Agency, by the way, that's what it's called. So, oh man, a lot to get into with, with this, a lot of different angles to kind of approach this from Corwin. What's your, uh, what's your initial reaction to this? Um, the best reaction I've seen so far. And the one that I agree with the most is when you see a college football player get in trouble for smoking pot, the initial reaction every single time is how can you throw your athletic career away by being so by doing something that makes you so lazy and lethargic and you know it's not viewed as a performance enhancer as much as it is something that will prevent you from achieving your 
athletic potential uh, makes you lazy, makes you not want to work out, makes you not want to put in 100% of the effort, you know. Yet when we're talking about it in this instance, it's something she used after the race or, you know, whatever, during the race, before the race. I don't know the specific details. I've heard conflicting reports to cause her to have an unfair competitive advantage against others. And it is considered quote unquote doping. It's considered a performance enhancer. And at the end of the day, I think it really truly just unemphatically is, uh, I have no idea if I just use that word, right. It doesn't feel right when I just said it. Um, like the rules are set up to just be straight up fucking racist and just be one of those um just inherent systematic pieces to kind of suppress athletes of color and minorities because it is you know at the end of the day um something that would be viewed as something that affects minority athletes more than it would white athletes and obviously we both know that as being completely untrue um, Michael Phelps is probably the best case of, you know, an athlete, an Olympic athlete using marijuana, uh, and getting suspended from his sport for it. Um, and it's just so hypocritical and just so bullshit is probably the best way to say it. It's just straight up fucking bullshit that you're just picking and choosing how you want to be angry. You're just choosing to be angry. Um, so I'll let you go ahead. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's one of those things where it's like, I, I feel like you and I are probably on the same page with when we were young, you know, you first hear about it and it's a lot of like, uh, you know, uh, if they offered me millions of dollars, well, no, no, not even, not even that. It's like, oh, if they offered me a million dollars a year to not smoke pot, I wouldn't smoke pot. And it's like, yeah. uh, and you know, you go like, oh yeah, I mean, that makes sense. If someone offered me a million dollars a year to not eat cake, I'd, I'd probably do my best to stop eating cake. A million dollars is a lot of money, but it, it's not the point. And it's not the application you know, it, it's not, it's an arbitrary way to control somebody's entire mode of life the way that they literally are living and we can sit here and say that like if someone offered us a million dollars to not do something then that's we would go ahead and do it but it's not them offering her any amount of money or fame or or, uh, opportunity to not do something it's to do something and that someone didn't come up to her and said here's uh, all the sponsorship money to not smoke weed they said here's all the sponsorship money to go be the fastest person alive and then she went off and became the fastest person alive or however quickly she ran that hundred meter respective to um, the actual records who, I don't know. Um, I don't follow. She's the fastest woman at the hundred meter in the United States. And the United States is always one of the best in the world transitive property yeah. or whatever math. I forget even what they're even called. Um, that was right. You nailed it. Proofs. Yeah. Oh god, it's like a whole class on proofs. I, I to fucking die. hate proofs oh, so dude, much. An entire class was nothing but proofs. Uh, anyway, that's not the point. Um, and the idea now, obviously, there's also there's also more to the story. Shakari Richardson didn't try to you know um, deny anything or even you know like delay having to accept that this was the reality. Um, you know, she was very forthright about it. Which again, really, I mean, what fucking more can you ask from a person? She's an amazing athlete and also very honest and wants to have open conversations about these types of issues. My God, that's the perfect person to have uh, 
you give a national spotlight to. And she had said that she, um, her, her biological mother had passed away like two or three days before this race. And she felt as though she needed something to assist her in getting through that. And that is also not a foreign concept at all to anybody. The idea that part of the grieving process involves some level of substance use. I mean, if it was alcohol, no one would, no one would bat a fucking eye, but we're going to claim to care because it's marijuana, which as Corwin pointed out, has a higher index of usage amongst people of color, which again, makes the line that would otherwise seem so fucking arbitrary seem rather racist because if it's going to affect one group of people more than another, and those people are black, well, then it's going to look like nothing like other than, well, we really, you know, we just don't want the black people to do it. And it's like, oh, well, fuck, that doesn't seem right at all. Now, does it? Mm-hmm. And I'll let you go ahead. I mean, I think we can both, you know, very much agree that we are very in tune with, you know, the emotional and, and mental health aspects of, you know, our generation and people in our age group and the kind of pressures that are put. And we're both in tune with that. You know, I'm, coming out of a very you know emotional point in my life where guess what when you're thinking about losing someone in that capacity and you're going through something where you're trying to focus on the u.s olympic trials that is your life's dream that is your goal it is days away and you lose your mother do you know how hard it is to shift that focus away from losing your own mother the person you're closest to in life to the olympic trials that must be incredibly difficult to keep yourself focused and to keep that, you know, type of emotional pain and distress suppressed enough to focus on uh, and keep that mindset strong. Uh, it is now raining, so I'm going to close that. So guess what? Smoking weed is a really great way to kind of ease that tension, relieve some of that stress, and to take that stuff off your mind. Without I really any it. long-term effects. I do it often. Without any long-term effect. Well, long-term in this case of her racing career, not long-term life. Right, right. Whatever, there's many layers to this discussion. We knew what we meant, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's something that's legal throughout the country. That's the other thing I was going to say. As a medicine. This took place in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Completely legal. She smoked pot after her mother's death in Portland, Oregon, where it has been legal. Mm Mm-hmm. And I get needing to ban substances and and performance enhancers and and dope in a, you know, universal term for athletic competition. And I'm sure taking, you know, certain um, substances that you can get legally and take as a private citizen isn't something that should be allowed in, you know, broad context for an athletic event. There's certain things that just, naturally would give you an unfair advantage marijuana is not one of them it doesn't make you stronger it doesn't make you run faster it makes you you know relieve pain it makes you you know clear your head it does things on a mental side that sure it can help you with recovery but it's not causing the recovery it's not 
you know, physically helping the recovery. It's mentally allowing you to get through it. And it's not doing anything during the race to inhibit or enhance your performance. So why is it banned? Other than just, hey, it, it wasn't legal for a while, so we put that in there. Now we are kind of in this uh, shitty fucking rock and hard place that shouldn't be either. And, you know, one of the ways that we end up getting there is because the people in power follow a certain demographic and don't look outside that scope. Or if they do look at outside that scope, it can be harmful because those people are, are, are racist assholes. And that comes into it's been coming into play a lot in the past, just the past week with Olympic stories. It's not just Shikari Richardson, who, uh, you know, we just spoke on it and we were very hopeful that the um, oh, what's the name of this fucking organization again? A bunch of shitheads. Uh, anti-doping. Agency, yeah, the U.S. US anti-doping. anti-doping agency. Um corrects their decision and and um, allows her to race and represent the United States in what can only be described as a wonderful fashion um, by being a tremendous athlete and being a very open person. Uh, Nike, for all the shit that they deservedly get for most things that they do, is actually standing by Shakar Richardson, so that's nice. Um, good for them for that. But we're seeing it in other places as well, and we don't have to get, I guess, too deep into any one thing because it's a lot of just here is a systemically racist group or, or a system that has some level of racism baked into it that is causing these things to happen. And so I'm not sure we're going to have too much profound to say from an outside looking perspective. Mm-hmm. And by outside, I mean, not just being white, but also not, literally not being in these sports on these committees, having any real relation with them. Um, but that is just to mention um, the uh, recent swim uh story i guess where the uh brand of swim caps called soul cap which specifically makes um swim caps for men and women with natural hairstyles or really just natural hair in general um so that they can swim for anyone who's unaware you wear uh a like scalp tight swim cap when you swim to cut down on drag um really that's like the main thing uh Every additional exposed hair reduces your time theoretically by like a hundredth of a millisecond. And when you have so many hairs and you're competing so much on the margins, that shit adds up. You have to wear a swim cap basically as well. Um, Reduce drag, increase aerodynamics. Right. Um, And the body that be with that, and hold on, I have a story up here and I can't remember any. So basically what happened is I was, you know, competitively swimming during this whole, um, uh, you know, fiasco, I'll, I'll call it, because it was something that kind of took over the sport. And it basically was laser stitched swimwear that was ultra thin in just the thinnest fabric that you could imagine and still be, you know, opaque that had such a low drag coefficient that it reduced um, Olympic records by seconds. Like it truly was, you know, a one, two year period where nearly every competitive swimming record was broken because it had such a large impact because by all means, it's something that covers, you know, your body from, you know, torso down through, you know, below your knees and 
covering up that much of your body with this ultra slick material, ultra, you know, uh, low drag material reduces overall drag coefficient by so much in a way that no other improvement over, you know, aerodynamics of your goggles, aerodynamics of the cap, layering of the cap, things like that just can't do. Um, and so it was, it's basically like if Nike invented shoes that had springs in the soles that allowed you to push off harder every time you took a step or took a bound. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the main issue, however, what is to what the uh, the article I have just says the international governing body for swimming. Um, thanks for that, um, BBC pieces of shit. Yeah, and apparently the people at BBC don't either. Fucking dicks, because uh, they didn't put it in the the thing. Um, but their claim as to why they're not allowing the sole cap to be worn is because it does not contour to the natural shape of the head. Oh, I thought you were talking about the suits. No, not the this suits. Was a, no. This was a whole different fiasco. No, actually, this is that's, new. That's, that's very interesting. I did not know that. And that makes a ton of sense. Um, and that is a separate thing that I am now going to have to look into because that sounds very interesting. But it's yeah, this is specific to the caps because a lot of people who swim are white and it's very easy with a lot of straight hair or shortened hair or whatever you want to still get like a, you know, like, literally an outline of the skull basically in on right. your head but there's not quite the same not at all the same significance with a white woman that has like a ponytail with a black woman or a black man that has dreadlocks which have actual cultural significance um or even something where you know like you have straight backs and you don't want to you like swim a lot and you can't keep going back to get your hair done every single time because the cap that they make you wear you know, fucks up your braids. Like, like that's a very expensive procedure to have to keep doing if you want to keep your hair and why shouldn't you be allowed to keep your hair? So like, here's a company that does that for you, but it is going to lead to, you know, again, big old air quotes, the cap not conforming to the natural shape of the head. And wow, is that a wild phrase to actually put out as your reason for not allowing black people to wear a certain type of swim cap. And that's another thing that the Olympics is going to have to wrangle with, which is if you are a man or woman with an Afro, with dreadlocks, with some other thing where your hair has grown out a significant amount because of some whatever style you have it in that has some meaning to you or whatever, you either have to cut it or not swim because you can't wear the one garment that works for you uh, in competition and man again a wild position for an olympic regulatory committee to take so Mm -hmm. there's that there's also been a couple women um i actually have their names here again my god i um i joined a new temple recently and i have been horrified because i don't know everyone's told me their names and everyone's remembered my name and I I, i don't know anybody else's name They've all told me. I don't know. It's easy to remember one new person's name rather than 50 new people's names all at once. Yeah, especially when you join a temple at like 26 because it's like all the people there are in like their 60s and 70s. And so they're all very excited to meet the young person who joined the temple. But it's like you're all 
my grandparents age and you're slowly all looking the same so i yeah sorry about that um Josh, anyway are you ageist do oh, all hardly. old people look the same yes <laughs> all old dudes are exactly the same somehow they all transplanted from new york they all came to this one temple in the middle of new jersey for no reason um yeah anyway um so two women from Namib- namibia which is in Africa, uh, Christine Maboma and Beatrice Masalingi had been banned from running the Olympic 400 meter dash because they have, quote, a naturally high testosterone level. And these are two cisgender women. These are not two transgender women. And I know that that has been a whole different um, set of discussions and issues that have been being debated for quite some time that have their own repercussions and their own meaning. But these are cisgendered women that are getting told that they don't, that they have too much testosterone to run in the race uh, in the Olympics, which is, I mean, as little merit as the um, transgender conversation re- really has at this point in time with what we know after having a decent amount of, of transgender women competing in women's competitions, not allowing cisgender women to do it is like next level fucking bizarre. Um, we see all the time Athletes that have some physical abnormality that allows them to compete at such a high level get talked about and looked at for like to bring up Michael Phelps again. Didn't he have some condition that reduced the lactic acid that his muscles produced faster than your average person? Which is one of the things that led him to be such a good athlete because he could like reduce his the the time he spent sore or his muscle fatigue at a, at a quicker rate. Who was this? Wasn't that Phelps? I know his big advantage was um, he was like double jointed pretty much everywhere, which allowed him to have the flexibility. I don't remember the lactic acid. Um, there was some Olympic athlete up. I can't think of that. I thought it was for that. Like they could, their body naturally reduced lactic acid so much faster than the average person's. And even if it's not Phelps. Yeah, it is. It was. Okay. and And it's like, people are built differently. There shouldn't be approved standards for the chemical creation of a being that allots them to compete, right? Uh, Phelps produces half the lactic lactic acid of a typical athlete. That's fucking nuts. A typical athlete too, not even a typical person, a typical athlete. That's fucking nuts. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Typical uh, sorry. Athlete. You were asking a question when I said that, what was it? Well, it's, it's just like, you can look at a person's natural advantage and acknowledge that they have an advantage without barring them from competition. It's like telling a basketball player, no, you're too tall for basketball. It's an unfair right. advantage. Like hey, that's how Usain, Usain Bolt, you're honestly so fast. It's not fair to the other runners because there wouldn't be a competition. So you're going to have to wear a rubber band. You're going to have to wear one of those, you know, um, elastic bands uh, across your feet so that it slows you down while you run. That way we could, you know, make it fair to everybody. It's like, so someone is naturally producing more testosterone and you're going to require them to take a prescribed medication to reduce their own hormone levels their own natural hormone levels to make them worse of an athlete so that they can compete. 
this is a bad year for the uh the u.s not the u.s but the uh national olympics, the olympics in general yeah. i mean and the olympics have been marred in a bunch of other um oh, the IOC is just issues as well i mean the, the they're not allowing uh political speech at the olympics but in form of protest so you can't wear a black lives matter shirt if you're going to the olympics um there's, there's the, not to get into all the other uh, large and small issues that the olympics have but it's been marred in controversy this year and it, it, it just so happens that this week has been a lot of issues specific to the black and the african and african-american communities and it's hard to see all these and there's more stories that we could spend another hour on this um bringing all of them up but there's even more stories that go into this type of shit that it's just infuriating and at every level what's what's the face corwin what's up i read something out of the iaaf's uh, statement that is just the most outrageous thing i've ever read lay it on me um the statement read uh quote discrimination is a necessary reasonable and proportionate means of achieving the iaaf's aim of preserving the integrity of female athletics what what i've never read something so outrageous what i can't even process that how in the world does that get released oh my how? god the IIA, the IAAF, whatever, also firmly believes in segregation and eugenics because this was written in the 20s. No one changed it. And I guess we still stand by this. Oh the God. CAS ruling is based on the idea that gender can be measured and that it exists in a vial. What the fuck? If Pastor Simon, how do you pronounce her last name? Uh, which woman? Semenya. Um, she's not one of the women I have listed here, but I know there's been a, a slew of women who have had this, um, have had some rulings against them. Regardless, so, if, yeah. if this specific runner has 4.99 nanomoles of testosterone per liter, the integrity of female athletics will be preserved, but at 5.01, it won't. So that's how the CAS is considering gender that's testosterone measured in nanomoles of nanomoles of testosterone per liter of blood that's fucking outrageous that's absolutely insane oh my god that's that's verifiably fucking racist sexist genders just oh my god awful wow it's quote called a sex verification test end quote Oh my God! That is some next level Pierre, shit, man. Pierre Weiss, then Secretary General of the IAFF, said of her in 2011, "quote It is clear that she is a woman, but maybe not a hundred percent." End quote. So, so, so they're like, gender is on a spectrum, and we have <laughs> oh, a cutoff. No, fucking no. Gender is a spectrum, and and we have drawn a line. Uh, this this is truly an outrageous article. Uh, this is nothing like anything I've read. But and and that you know that that's part of like 
where I think you're going to see a lot of the easily defined, easily presentable systemic racism ideals, because some people, you know, you say systemic racism and you talk about it in very large sectors, you know, like politics um, or geography. And it can be a little bit tough to make it so obvious what that means, because it's like, how can you say the South is racist? There's so many black people in the South. And it's like, yes, there are. But there is a long history of why they have not been able to participate in a system. That system adopted racist policies that has led to a lot of the systemic racism that we experience today, where even good meaning white folk that don't mean to be doing anything racist are still going to be because the system that they're in. And it can be tough to see because again, as you say that about like South Carolina, the South Carolina is majority black, but has a lot of those types of issues. If when you bring it into the idea of like swimming um, or like a lot of these, a lot of these smaller committees where chances are even with some percentage of, black athletes being present within them, they're likely still majority white ruled or led or whatever. It's going to be very obvious what that means. Um, granted, this is more of a gender issue, which is, oh man, that one's wild, wacky and weird um, and very uncomfortable. Uh, but a lot of the other ones that we talked about today are uh, largely race-based. And again, it's tough to look at all, seemingly only black women getting hit with this testosterone rule and not wondering if there's something about it there as well. But, um, you know, a lot of it comes from the fact that there's these people who put in a rule and those people sucked and then new people came along after those people died or whatever. And shit still be done fucked up because of that reason. And, uh, Oh boy, the Olympics, which usually is an awkward expression for some people because of the inherent nationalism and patriotic expression that comes with it is experiencing even more so a lot of side-eyed glances and question marks from uh, going to be a lot of countries' own citizens because of the way that they're conducting themselves. It's not going to just be the U.S. It's probably going to be some several African nations as well as uh, some Japanese folks as well are going to be probably not super thrilled uh, with a lot of the ways that the Tokyo Olympics are being held, especially since a lot of Japanese folks have asked that they not happen for a lot of reasons. And uh, it seems worldwide at this point that there's going to be a lot of pushback on every single aspect of how this is being conducted because it is a tremendous failure thus far. Fully agree. Um, just to close on one final fact, I'd like to point out um, in the Semenya case, um, this isn't something where she's being banned from competing in the Olympics out of nowhere. Um, she already has two gold medals from the 2012 and 2016 Olympics in the 800 meter. So this is a now we're choosing not to let you compete because you're intersex. And boy, this is fun. It's just so fucking stupid, man. And I think there's a there's a perception from a lot of cis folk that if you let trans women compete in sports, they're going to sweep the field unanimously. And it's not true. It, it really isn't. As, as we see more trans women participate in athletics and in sports against cis women, it's not like it's a clear cut. They automatically win. They often don't. And it's not, and that's the whole point is that at the end of the day, they're, they're just women doing a sport and that their, their previously assigned gender doesn't, doesn't really contribute too much in that sense, in that sphere. 
Um, that's part of the whole hormone replacement therapy that a lot of these women go through. It, 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 it doesn't, ah, uh, it's, and it's, it's, this is, and this is the hard part about sports. We bring this up all the time. This is the hard part about sports is that, you know, I think a lot of us would just like to watch some people run fast and swim fast and, uh, hit baseballs really hard. And, and, um, you know, uh, fucking shoot hoops and shit, but real life intersects with your sports and you have to reconcile with that in some type of way. And it can be very frustrating and challenging when the thing you use as an outlet becomes uh, a microcosm of real life society in the worst ways. So, mm-hmm. um, Oh, it's so much fun. I guess let, let's segue slowly our way out of this by giving an update on the Trevor Bauer situation. It's just a small one. Um, as we had said when we last spoke, he, Trevor Bauer had still made the trip to Washington, D.C. with the Dodgers and was uh, still scheduled to make his start on Sunday. You're listening to this on Monday. It is currently Saturday. We're all over the place. Um, but Robert Manfred stepped in yesterday, so Friday, and put Trevor Bauer on the uh, seven-day um, on a seven-day administrative leave, which is not an admission of guilt, and he still gets paid per game as all athletes do. So basically it is the exact middle ground that Cora and I had said must surely exist um, in a case like this that did. And eventually it did happen. So uh, the MLB's investigation is pending as to what to do. It'll be interesting to see how the process works beyond seven days, because since it involves actual legal matters, one wonders how much time they can bide. Plus the idea that like Mickey Calloway was, not part of the angels organization for like, or it was like on administrative leave from the angels for like what, like two, three months before anything really happened with that. So we'll, it, we'll I guess we'll see how things develop with Trevor Bauer, who's not um, appealing this because it doesn't want to be a distraction to the Dodgers, which um, I really is because he's not allowed to appeal it. And I think he wanted to make it sound like he was doing something right when you're not allowed to appeal that one. So you couldn't appeal it. So go fuck yourself. Um, but yeah. Man, I fucking hate him. It's, it's amazing it's getting... how much opinion, this opinion of him for all of this is just kind of flipped back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times when he would, get shit or when people would give him shit there'd be this whole um he's good for mlb because he's a big loud personality who markets himself and it's like yes that's something that is needed but that doesn't mean this is the guy you know and that's that's the like if mike trout decided to woke up one day and all of a sudden was a different person and wanted to be super big and bolsterous and lighthearted and fun with his like weather stuff and um, being from what shitty town in New Jersey. I can say that as New Jerseyan, New Jerseyite. I don't know. Um, and like start a YouTube channel and, you know, make more public his thoughts and feelings. It would be, it'd be great. It'd be exactly what everyone wants. Um, if, if uh, Aroldo Chapman did it, 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 yeah, that's the wrong guy. That's the wrong, it's the not the right guy. That's the very not right, the, the right guy to, to be doing that. And that, that matters. It's not just he did two things that are right for the sport. It's the fact that he did a whole bunch of other things that aren't right for like society. And, you know, if Charles Manson started a podcast, you shouldn't listen to it. You know, like there, there, there are the right people for certain activities. Um, 
just because they're doing something that's widely consumed doesn't mean that they're right for that representation. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. I still might listen to a Charles Manson episode. Just see what the man's like to talk like. Now, a Charles Manson, a podcast about Charles Manson, different from Charles Manson coming on to talk about, like, I don't know, modern politics or like some weird shit. You know what I mean? If it it was like him in prison, just like, hey, I want to just hear him talk about what happened. Like, I just want to know what he did. Like, I want to know the details of like the stuff we didn't hear about. Just I think that could be pretty interesting if he went on and was like, hey, here's my, you know. Let's talk about recipes. Let's talk about cooking, shit like that, or other weird shit. You know, hey, I'd be like, uh, Charles Manson, fuck off. Imagine you start listening to his podcast and he's like, Let me tell you why batting average is a terrible statistic. And <laughs> and he starts being like one of the greatest sabermetricians of all time. <laughs> and you're like, Oh shit, this is great content, but like you orchestrated the murder of an actress. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about this. At least he's better than Bill James. So uh, funny. I was about to say, it's like, is that better than Bill James? It's like, uh, yeah, your opinions on baseball are really good, but you're like the worst. Oh, uh, God. Literal murderer Charles Manson. <laughs> Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. Um, oh, what a fantastic video. So, oh, all-timer. Love that one. It's so good. Um other updates um what's his name hector santiago is appealing his suspension so nothing really going on with that but he's had some funny antics on on the on the mound um tim lacastro got traded to the yankees it's super confusing it doesn't make much sense the only way it will make any sense is if the yankees plan on trading tyler wade so I guess we'll see what happens with that um, for reference as to why it doesn't make much sense. Uh, as much as I do not like Tyler Wade, allow me to defend him for a hot moment um, or at least point out why he's better than one specific player uh, on the season. So far, Tyler Wade negative 0.2 war and 49 at bats uh, with an OPS plus of 54. Tim LaCastro negative 0.8 war in 118 at bats with an OPS plus of 38 on the season. Um, Ooh, that's, that was not the number I was expecting. Yes, that is 16 points lower than Tyler Wade's OPS plus, which is impressive. Uh, career-wise, Tim LaCastro is better with a 78 OPS plus to Tyler Wade's 56, but we're talking um, real small shit here that doesn't one would think doesn't really mean much. Uh, Tim LaCastro had a very nice season last year with his 131 OPS plus, but um, that is very much so the out of norm for him. Uh, they're both speedsters. So you got to wonder if there's an infield move happening um, so that they can have the defensive speed and ability of an actual regular defense uh, outfielder with Tim LaCastro rather than Tyler Wade, who often finds himself in the outfield due to having a crowded infield of backups, but it's weird. Possibly and... a move at uh, shortstop, you think, maybe? Uh, so we talked about what it would take to trade Glaber Torres uh, just like a few weeks ago, and I don't think – the Yankees now have two top 100 prospects at shortstop which is wild. Uh, Anthony Volpe, and I forget the other guy. I'm sorry, other guy. My bad. Um, and so, theoretically, you could say they could trade 
Glaber Torres to get a rental guy. And then by rental, maybe not like a six month rental, maybe like a, like a short term plug, like a DD guy here for two or three years. And then you call up one of the guys that you have um, in the top 100 prospect list or whatever. I, I think that's more work than is necessary, which is why I don't think a move would have be happening at shortstop. If anything, a move should probably be happening at second um, or like utility infield for all the, the days off that you kind of have to give. Um, you can't rely on Gio to play third every day. Plus he's been hurt on and off this season. Uh, you can't expect DJ to be playing every day. You can't expect Labor to play every day. And you definitely can't expect Voight to play every day. He's been hurt a lot this season, mm-hmm. um, which is just is what it is. So uh, as of right now, your bench is Rugnet Odor and Tyler Wade for the infield. And wow, is that a shit bench? So I wouldn't be surprised if it was a second base utility infield guy. Um, but I am kind of doubting anything at this point. So I'll say. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, I think they should just trade for Mike Trout. Huh. Oh, yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, they should trade with, they should either get Joey Gallo, which the Yankees fans have been saying for years, um, or they should trade for Chris Bryant because I want that to happen, please. If the Yankees weren't worried about salary and they could trade for a package deal of Jock Peterson and, um, Chris Bryant from the Cubs for whatever the Cubs would want. Um, wouldn't they pretty cool? Pretty cool. Pretty It'd probably be a lot. It would probably, but I mean, at the same time, you can. Yeah, I what's going to cost you money? Some players. Okay. You have both. You do. You know, no, there's not too many players that say are untouchable at this point. So, fuck yeah. it. Who knows? But eh, we'll see what the season unfolds. Um, last thing I guess is uh, Pablo Lopez got thrown out after one pitch in which he plunked. Ronald Acuna Jr. in uh, yesterday's Marlins-Braves game. These games have been chippy the past few seasons, mostly due to the fact that Jose Urania is a punk bitch and kept hitting Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, because Ronald Acuna Jr. owned that freak. And um, Jose Urania did not like that. Who didn't? Jose Urania now on the Tigers, I believe. Um, yes. And... Basically what happened, we don't want to spend too much time on it. We're approaching our hour, which means we will see you guys another day. But Jose um, Reina of the 6.22 ERA this year in 72 innings. So it's not a small sample size. 1.659 whip. Oh, these numbers are so bad. 72 <laughs> innings pitched, 47 strikeouts. Ooh, it's not good. Negative not good. four. Negative 0.5 war. Man, that Tiger uh, Jose Arrania has only ever led the league in a statistic twice in his career in 2017 and 2018. He led MLB in hits batsman. <laughs> there you go. It's not a good pitcher. Um, 
Anyway, so with some history between these two teams, uh, Brian Snicker came charging out of the dugout after Acuna got hit and told the umps that they got to throw out uh, Pablo Lopez. And the umps got together and were like, yeah, all right. And then threw Pablo Lopez out of the game. And that's a first because it's not a first to have a opposing manager yell, get that guy the fuck out of here. Um, you see it like basically anytime anyone gets hit. Um, because, you know, that's what you do. But you never see the umps go, eh, all right. Hey, you, come home. Um, that part is a little bit ridiculous, especially when you consider the fact that hits by, hit by pitches are up across all MLB over the past five years, um, probably more. I'm, I, don't, I recall, but I'm not going to check. I actually have no idea. You know, it, it, it verifiably is, because more pitches go for breaking stuff and... If you if you you throw a breaking pitch, it doesn't break. It's it's going to end up in one of the two batters boxes. Which congrats, like that means you you have a 50-50 shot of hitting somebody. It's only two batters boxes. Um, plus, we just lost the sticky stuff, so your breaking stuff might not break the way you're expecting it to. Your fastball grip might be a little bit different. Hit by pitches are up um, again over the over especially over the past five seasons or so. So the fact that it got taken so personally by a man whose name uh, I really don't fucking know. <laughs> Pablo Lopez. I had to kept reminding myself oh, why his name was written picture. down. Is he? Yeah. He's probably the best player uh, or best pitcher on um, the Marlins. Maybe Sandy Alcantara is right. I was going to say Sandy Alcantara is probably the best pitcher on the Marlins. Uh, let's see. Pablo Lopez. Ah, 287 ERA is pretty fucking tidy. Yep. Man, four and five. Four that's, knows that's a thing so or two. Yeah, and he's been getting better every season. Where did we go, Pablo Lopez? Uh, yeah. Oh, there's and there's also Trevor Rogers. Trevor Rogers might be the second best starting pitcher on the roster, but still, Pablo Lopez we'll having a very nice we'll season. See. Very, very nice season. Um, regardless, solid chance nobody fucking meant anything by that shit, especially since Jose Arena hasn't been on the Marlins in a while, and he was really the only guy to start any shit. There'd be some more hit by pitches traded back and forth, but that was usually after like Jose Arrani would hit a guy, so a brace pitcher had to hit a guy, and Mons pitcher had to hit a guy, and you know the unwritten rules bullshit. Um, man, it's just wild to see the umps finding new ways to insert themselves into the game, and this time it was just by agreeing to what the opposing manager wanted, which is never the way that should work. No, and it's fucking ridiculous that it is. I mean, it's like the exact same conversation we had a few weeks ago when Joe Girardi got tossed out for constantly having the umps check Max Scherzer for um, foreign substances. It's like if you give the opposing manager the ability to fuck with the other team, like why would they not fuck with the other team? It's the umps' mm-hmm. jobs to not do that. Yeah. Ugh, what would whatever. Be, fuck what the would be, What would be your biggest, stupidest way as an opposing manager to fuck with the opposing pitcher? So Joe Girardi was like, made the really check him for, yeah, that's, that's check for really substance three one. times. Brian Snooker was like, throw him out of the game. And they did it. What would Corwin Heller do? So like the checking for substance like that might even like how we saw with Scherzer. It's like, oh, my stuff's so good. They think I'm cheating. Um, I think whenever we would have these like uh, substance checks, I would just shout out, don't bother. Let him go. 
give him some rosin. I would toss some sunscreen out to him, just shit like that. <laughs> Be like, yeah, dude, you suck. I think I think that's what I would do off the top of my head. Hmm. I would make them remove arbitrary pieces of clothing, which you see happen because every now and then, every now and then, you get a pitcher who like wears a certain sleeve. And the opposing manager would be like, he can't wear that sleeve. And then the commentators would be like, he wears this sleeve every game. But then the ump goes up to him and goes like, I guess you got to take the take sleeve off. off. Yeah. And, then, and then the pitchers go, I wear this every game. And then the umps go, ah, take it off anyway. Or we just had something the other day. I forget what pitcher it was. I forget who it was. But they the umps made him change his glove. Oh, that was... Glove, um, was that Stroman? Freddy Peralta. Freddy Peralta. Yeah. Um, like because because his his glove was the wrong color and it's like I don't watch a lot of, of Brewers games even though I have Freddie Peralta on my team and he's wonderful, um, but I'm willing to bet Freddie Peralta probably wears that glove a lot because like pitchers never have a reason to change their gloves because they don't, don't use them very much. You don't break in a glove just halfway through the season just like I would start using a new glove. As, again, especially as a pitcher, where like you barely have to field your position. Your um, glove is there to cover up your pitches and to like catch the ball when the catcher throws it to you. Like that's your it. glove is a prop. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is there as a technicality for something you not have to have when you're on the field. <laughs> oh man, and like, but like you know, the opposing manager. I I think in that instance, it might have just been by will of the umpires. But I believe the opposing manager for that Brewers game was like that gloves the wrong color and the umps were like oh shit you right and took it away so i think that's what i would do until i got thrown out i, I would, would be love like, if like the, the ump just color. went up there with like a card like the with like different shades on it just like a paint sample and it's like no no you gotta take it off you gotta that was my out. first idea like but like pre um shoe change shoe policy change i would have been like his shoes are the wrong color make him take them off <laughs> I had to go up there like, oh, now, now you see uh, Yankees blue is midnight blue and you are, you're wearing um, uh, like deep ocean blue. You got to take that shit. Wrong blue, bro. Wrong blue for these cleats. Got to take them off. Wrong blue. And then make the pitcher change his shoes. Yeah. (laughs) Your socks are the wrong color. Please change your socks. So he still has to take his shoes off, but also adds in like, oh, no, I got my feet are going to get dirty. Fuck. And oh, it's sweaty. It sucks putting socks on and sweaty feet. Fuck. Ugh. That's how I want to do it. That's, yeah, that's it's just some goal. really petty nonsense. Because I mean, at that at this point, that's where we're at. Yeah, we're at absolutely. That's part of this. Yeah. Oh, geez. Um, Speaking of nonsense, I have nothing else. Yeah, I mean, we have here that Shohei Otani hit. Um, 30 home runs before the all-star break. He just knocked in uh, his uh, 30th last night as part of a two home run effort. Uh, we talked about the insanity of him this season. The um, only thing that I wanted to point out, unless we were going to have a longer discussion about this, in which case it's a different episode at this point. We've been going for a while is that he is only one of two Japanese born baseball players to hit 30 home runs in the season. And that's actually kind of wild. Um, did Granted, Hideki do it? Hideki was the other one. He had 31 in a season. Um, and granted, it's because the Japanese style of baseball is a lot more um, Jeter than Bonds. It's a lot more Tony Gwynn than Mark McGuire. You know, it's a lot more level swing. Some Suzuki in there. 
Yeah, it, it, I mean, yeah, Ichiro is like the perfect model of what a lot of Japanese baseball typically, you don't get a lot of like, even in the MPB, you don't get a lot of like 30 home run guys. Um, it's a lot of singles driven, doubles driven kind of play. Um, so the the fact that there hasn't been that only, only two guys to have done it in MLB, I guess shouldn't be too surprising, but with the amazing talent that comes out of Japan, um, for him to only be the second still seems very surprising. Uh, what, what an achievement, man. One of the only two players to do it, yeah. and he did it before um, the All-Star just... break. <laughs> when you put it in that phrasing, holy shit, that's awesome. Right? Um, I just want to point out um, my number one prediction. I know we're going to do our predictions update for the All-Star break, but... Uh, my first prediction was Shohei Otani being a finalist for the Cy Young, winning MVP and a Silver Slugger. So looking pretty, pretty, pretty good. So Two out far. of three of those are looking phenomenal. Yeah. 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 And really, really good on the third as well. Man, that's fucking Fuck funny. Me, that's awesome. Ah. Uh. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll jerk off Shohei Otani more in a couple of weeks when the All-Star break is upon us and we're talking about the uh, the preseason pre- bold predictions. Uh, yeah, Corwin, anything else before we get out of here? It looks like you're about to say something. If Shohei Otani came to you I'm and you said, so I want you to jerk me off, would you do it? No. Okay, that's fair. No, it's not. It's not. That's not what I'm about. Okay, that's fine. Corwin's like, I'd have opened up. <laughs> Corwin's like, my jaw would have been on the floor. I'm not saying I would. Or wouldn't. Not saying I would or wouldn't. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let's uh, let's get out of here on that note. Then we come we've truly come full circle. <laughs> Uh, Awkward yeah. silence time. There it was. Uh, all right. If you if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. I'd like to follow Corbin on Twitter, you can do so at Corbin Heller. If you like to follow this guy right here on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you like to send us emails, you can do so at uh, juicing the numbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, nope. This is Monday's episode. Until Thursday, y'all have a good one. Bye.